Okay. Okay. My first question is like, is uh, I'd like to know where where's your uh, from your love for horror films. What was your first horror film? Well, I'd say my love for horror comes from my childhood. My grandmother raised me on really. I, I grew up in New England and New Hampshire, not too far from you in Quebec, um, and I was raised on really scary ghost stories. Um, my grandmother had a type of Ouija board that uh, oh, this was in the 1970s that had some really scary uh, spirit that was attached to the Ouija board and so she, she told me these stories that scared the crap out of me uh, as a kid where like the spirit, uh, her dog had just died and she asked it, where is Shiva which was the name of her dog and it said look to the fireplace and all the logs in the, in the, in the chimney fell down into the perfect shape of a dog burning in the fire So I, I was raised with stories like that that scared the shit out of me as a kid. And so I think um, I think I, I really gravitated towards horror because of that. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't around. I mean, I, I was not born yet, but uh, I have cousins who, you know, swear about that, that time in the 1970s where the house was really spooky and haunted. And ultimately, the Catholic Church came and burnt this Ouija board uh, in the fire and blessed the house with oils and stuff and spoke in tongues. And so, you know, I, I, I was raised Catholic. And so I think, you know, where anybody who's raised Catholic is a little bit superstitious, you know, you think about Christianity, it's like the first zombie story in a way, you know, so, um, so yeah, I, I, and then, uh, you know, we had a graveyard at the end of the road in New Hampshire and I would scare the local kids. We would walk to the uh, cemetery late at night and, I always loved the power of uh, being able to scare somebody, you know, and um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you had the chance, uh, would you uh, make a movie on the creepy stories that uh, are from uh, New Hampshire? I mean, it's tough because I think the exorcist obviously did the Ouija board. And Ouija, so it just has been done a lot. So okay, yeah, yeah. Unless it could come up, you know, unless it could come up with something that was genuinely original, it felt a little... My grandmother even talked to uh, um, Warren, um, um, uh, uh, the Warrens, because she called a radio show to ask about uh, about what to do, and the Warrens told her, you know, do not use the Ouija board because it's basically one uh, step away from demonic possession, um, and uh, it just it, the, the the spirit knew things that people that had no way of knowing, like my grandfather, my, not my mother's husband, but my, my, on the other side of the family, he was a cynic, and he said, you know, if that thing is so real, ask it what my, my buddy in the war, he had served in um, World War II, he said, ask it what my buddy's name was, and it spelled out P-H-I-S-H, fish, and his face went white, and he never stepped foot back in that house, because nobody knew, this was the name of a, a friend of his who had died, Um, and nobody knew the name, his name, and so it really scared the hell out of him. So, wow. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and then I, you know, just in, in, to your original question, I was I just loved monster movies and stuff when I was a kid, and uh, from my earliest memories, I can just remember sneaking and you know, and I'm gonna date myself, but West Coast Video where you'd rent movies on VHS, and I remember seeing you know Friday the Thirteenth and so forth, and just being terrified and. Um, and then it, it was just off to the races. Uh, cool. I, you just talked about the Friday the 13th. I have a question uh, uh, that 
that uh, touched the this uh, this uh, this side of the question. If you had the chance to uh, direct or uh, produce uh, one of the uh, a remake or maybe a reboot of the Friday Thirteenth, Exhaustion, Some Massacre, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or whatever, would would you? Um, I, it's really tough. I mean, I've done because because I directed Insidious Chapter Four. I think you know I, I'm I'm in this position now where I really want to do original stuff. Okay. And, you know, it's really hard to make the fans happy. I mean, obviously they did have great success with the latest Halloween in terms of yeah. business, but um, I, I had a pitch for New Friday the 13th, which I really liked and was very excited about, which was like, what if you set it in winter and Crystal Lake has been dead for 30 years and Jason's sort of in hiding and then, you know, in the United States, we're doing a lot of fracking now, which is like this way to pull oil and natural gas from the from the ground. And what if it started with like a fracking team that had gone into Crystal Lake and basically tried to pull this you know natural gas out of the ground and so it stirred up Jason. And but it was all set in winter, and you had like an amazing like I love the idea that they were and then you take a couple of the final girls from like the first couple of movies and you meet them and it, they have a support group for women who have been in abusive or violent relationships. And so they're, it's very female centric. And then their son or their daughter ends up going to Crystal Lake. And so he gets pulled in. But I love this idea of like the ice being frozen and Jason has knocked down a couple of trees. And so they're out on the ice on the SUVs with their trucks. And then uh, you come across all these little kids playing hockey a few of them have fallen in, so you have this great image of these young young kids with goldie masks drowning in this frozen, you know, lake water, and then you realize Jason's underneath the truck, and uh, so the opening of the movie is this, like, epic slaughter on the ice in the middle of winter, because they just, you know, I think we're, ultimately, the studios want the same thing over and over again, and so it's like, if you're going to do Friday the 13th, you might as well do something really dramatic, like set it a different season. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Uh, but uh, I'm agree with you that uh, we need more original films. Uh, you know, there's too too many remakes in my opinion, and I I think it ruin it ruins the the uh, our genre. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, look, all these movies movies are risky, and the studio is always trying to offset their risk, and so they say, okay, what is the new Candyman worth, and what is the new you know Halloween, and so they. It just makes it safer for them, so I understand why remakes get made all the time. But um, it, you know, it, it, it's always a win when there's an original that's you know that's, that just hasn't been done before. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, let, let's talk about the uh, escape room. Uh, I, I, I want I want to know uh, how was uh, your feelings when you saw that Escape Room was a major hit at the box office and that Sony would wanted to make a sequel. Escape. 
audience knows exactly what they're getting when they go to that movie, even just right seeing a, a poster. And in, in this day and age where you're trying to get all these different foreign territories and countries, whether it's Asia or Europe and South America, to really, it, it, it's a big idea. So I'm, I, I can't say that I'm entirely surprised, but I'm, I'm really grateful that it did, did so well business-wise. Well, uh, to be honest, I haven't seen the the trailer when I uh, when I got got to uh, to the theater, and I I went uh, with my girlfriend, and uh, man, we were like fucking surprised <laughs> how good it was. Nah, yeah, that's awesome. Have you done escape rooms before? Uh, no, no. Okay, they're all over LA. There's like 500 in LA alone, you know, and they're really popular all over America. Um, so I'm curious if there are some in Montreal. I'm, I'm imagining if there are a few at least. Uh, I've never been to, uh, to Los Angeles or whatever, but if I had the chance to go to a, a, a room like that, I, I, I would certainly go. <laughs> some of the escape room runners, the people who own them here, they were like, People who have never done an escape rooms expect to get set on fire and stuff. And they're like, no, that's just a movie. You know, you don't actually get killed in an escape room. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, to be honest, uh, I was like, man, this uh, this idea was uh, original. I've never seen a, a, an idea like that. You know, it, it looks like uh, a little bit like Saw, but I think it was uh, different, which makes it like a really good film. Yeah, we, we thank you for saying that. I mean, my producers really were adamant at the beginning, you know, that they didn't want a lot of violence and blood. They, they, they wanted a movie that they could show their kids, and in some way, making it PG-13 was a fun challenge because then I had to rely not on shock but on suspense, you know, and, and creating a sense of urgency. The, the, the room keeps heating up or the ice and the cold or uh, the gravity is going to kill you. And so it was, it was fun to... And, you know, a lot of horror films end up looking like the same thing over and over again. And so here was an opportunity to make six different rooms that look very vastly different and have different architecture and different aesthetics and stuff. And so my DP, my director of photography, and I talked a lot about, like, each room feels different. You know, you go from the cold industrial space of the, of the first room into, like, a warm Western kind of light in the cabin. And then you go to Narnia, which feels like the ice room and almost fantasy-like and you know, into the billiard room, which is in the 1950s. So each room has its own, it's its own character in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do, do, do you know if uh, you would like to go in the, in the same direction for uh, the sequel or uh, you want to go to a diff like a different road and uh, just try things? Uh, we, we, we are definitely, I can't talk much about it because we're developing it right now. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going, uh, we're definitely going in a, in a unexpected direction in terms of like what brings people to the game. And then, um, the rooms themselves, we we're just, we're trying to really outdo what we did in the first movie. I feel like if you do a sequel, you have to have rooms that are just as exciting, if not more exciting. So, um, I think we're, we have a couple of really cool pitches that are gonna, I think hopefully blow people's minds. Okay, you have a you have the the script set, and you know in what kind of direction you're going, la? Yeah, we're 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 in the uh, scripting phase right now, so we have an outline, and the writer's hard at work. Oh, all right, all right, cool. Um, uh, first of all, uh, would you like to make uh, many more uh, fun footage? And would I like to make many more what? 
found footage, like uh, your film. Uh, the oh, thing. Found, found footage movies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love found footage movies. I mean, I, I think they, they, when they're done well, can be really, really scary. Um, the problem is, right now, theatrical uh, distributors don't want them necessarily, unless you're doing like a paranormal activity, which I, you know, they won't usually go to theaters. And so uh, the next movie, I just pitched something to Sam Raimi, who came on as a producer. And this, this pitch that we're working on with Sam's company is a hybrid where you have found footage elements, people wearing body cameras and so forth. And so you get to have a beautiful scripted traditional movie, but with also intercutting with found footage elements, which I think will be, will give the audience a sense of more, more of the, uh, that kind of a, that kind of a vibe. But yeah, I mean, I love found footage movies. Uh, do you have a favorite? So always, always, always about like whether or not you can validate why people are filming, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I think it, it like, there was too many found footage because, uh, in the end of the day, it looks, it looks all, uh, the same. But, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I really think like, uh, your, uh, your film, The Taking of Deborah Logan was, was completely different. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, I'm going in the, for in the forest and just find something creepy or whatever. You know, it was, it was completely different. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we were always excited by the idea of like a medical documentary. It starts very grounded and then slowly gets really, really freaky. Um, but we, we got so excited. And again, validating why people are filming and why they don't put the camera down and why they don't run away. And we had, we had one character who, who literally in the middle of the movie is like, peace out, I'm out of here and just takes off. And people really, really love that. Audiences and fans loved it because it was, he acted like a normal human being. If an if old lady is, you know, levitating on counters, like chances are you're gonna you're gonna take off and leave. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the how was it to film uh, the taking off the barrel again? Like, was it hard uh, since it's a fun footage? Yeah, I mean, you know. In retrospect, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, you, you, when you start out, you start out with small budgets, and the taking was obviously the smallest budget I had, and I had 20 days of, of filming, and we we really planned it out quite well, and because it was found footage, you know, you, you think, you think, oh, uh, it just, because we could just run around and just do stuff, but everything was on the page, so the script was, was all there on the page by the time we started shooting, and then... Um, you'd have it, it was the most fun for a movie that I made because it was it was really just about performances. There was no special effects. It was all about like Joe Larson and um, uh, Anne Ramsey and their chemistry and what they were doing on screen. So in that respect, it was super exciting. And um, but yeah, it was really challenging. We had a very small crew and producers carrying like switchboard answering service machines up upstairs and stuff like that. So, um, but the irony is that. You know, I'll never have as much creative control as I did on my first movie. You know, I had very little budget, but I also had all the creative control. And so as the budgets get bigger, the more people you have to serve and the more voices in the mix. So in some ways, I, I look back fondly on, on the taking as, as a sort of, I miss that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, a couple months ago, I was talking to uh, the Gallows director and... Uh, In my opinion, I thought it was uh, an easy thing to make a fun footage movie, but uh, they they said like it was one of the hardest thing to to do because the the shots were 
were completely different from an original uh, shooter movie. Yeah, yeah, no, you, my cameraman on The Taking of Deborah Logan was very much like an actor, you know, he was acting like the character who was filming, and we, we worked really hard to, for example, if there was a moment in the movie that was very scripted and very sort of Hollywood-esque, like, the example I can give is, like, in, in The Taking, when Deborah and her daughter are talking about the house and needing the money and stuff, If you had just shot that normally, like right in front of us, it wouldn't feel right because when people talk about private things, they don't want to be heard. And so we shot it through, like through the windows and through the screen, and like it was like a stolen moment that made the drama of what was happening between them much more real because it felt real. You know, it didn't feel like they were acting for the camera. And but the other thing with found footage, it's really hard, is you don't have coverage. Like if I want to scare you, I can show the audience something under the bed go back to Lynn Shay's face and go back under the bed. I don't have editing. I can only have one camera. And so that, that made it much harder to do jump scares because you didn't have the ability to misdirect the eye the way that you would in a traditional jump scare. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, in 2018, you directed the fourth uh, sequel in the Insidious series, uh, which is a huge series worldwide. How was it to work with uh, with a such big actress like Lin Shay and uh, like uh, with uh, late One L and uh, James Wan? It was great. I mean, I've known Lin Shay for a long, long time. I was an actor back in the day and was in a couple of horror films with her as an actor, and so I knew Lin, and we were friends. In fact, that's oh. how I met James Wan was was through Lin Shay. I was at a party once, and I met James and. We kind of bonded, and then when the taking of Deborah Logan came out, James Wan was one of the first in the in the uh, 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 social media to be like, "Wow, this movie's really creepy," and you know, it really unnerved me. And so he kind of gave us a big boost when it went straight to Netflix. And so, and it's it's been great. You know, I I really I learned a lot from Lee Wanell and and got to uh, you know he was on the movie, he was in the movie, he produced the movie, so I got to learn a lot from him as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how How did you get the news that you were the, direc the director of uh, for the new uh, Insidious movie? Um, they Blumhouse reached out to me when they were looking when it was clear that Lee was not going to direct it, and um, I really went to bat. I had like a few thousand dollars left in my bank account. I was literally so broke after my first movie, and um, I put it all into doing like a beautiful visual presentation. And then, like storyboards that I animated, so I really went for it, and um, and then I got the job. Yeah, I, it was a couple of week process where I was on pins and needles, and and ultimately, I think Cooper Samuelson called and who who runs Blumhouse and, and told me I got the gig, and the rest is history, as they say. Oh, all right, cool. Uh, be beside Escape Room 2, do you have uh, more horror films written at this time that you'd like to make uh, after the this uh, highly anticipated sequel? Yeah, I'm doing a, a, a movie with Sam Raimi uh, that I describe as sort of a supernatural don't breathe. Um, and uh, we're, we're pitching that soon. And then I have a TV show that I'm really excited about called The Craving, which is sort of uses drug addiction as a monster. Um, And uh, those are the two sort of genre shows that I'm genre projects that I'm really focused on right now. Oh, amazing! Uh, for the for my last question, I'd like to know: uh, uh, Do you have a favorite serial killer? <laughs> favorite serial killer? Um, 
serial killer. Yeah, mm. and why? I mean, I would have to say just purely. I, I, when I say favorite, I mean the one that's most most upsetting to me would probably be Albert Fish, who mm. was known for he was a sadist who like ate needles and knives and he was a cannibal. I mean, if, if you just talk about pure evil, like that's the dude that will keep me up at night. Um, and um, really, like if there was a devil, like it, it was an Albert Fish. So. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I'm always a fan. I, I like mysteries, so Jack the Ripper is obviously a good one. And I mean, I can go on and on. In the, the the sort of you have the, the fucked up clown of it all with John Wayne Gacy. So there's a couple up there. <laughs> yeah.